Welcome to the Hughes of Leadership podcast, where we dive deep into the many prominent aspects of leadership. How does leadership show up in each of us, and how do we seek to have a positive influence on the lives of others? Just like hues vary, so does how we show up as leaders and how we may flex different hues depending on the moment, the task at hand, or the individual or team we are engaging. What hues are you using today, and which will you seek to further develop? I'm your host, DJ Menifee, a Chief Enrollment Officer and a Leadership Practitioner in Higher Education, and I look forward to diving into the hues of leadership with our guest. In Season 2, we'll focus on extraordinary, impactful leadership moments, specifically those that played a critical role in shaping the leader our guest has become or continues to become. Season 2 is inspired by the book, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact. I highly recommend it if you've not had a chance to check it out. So now, without further ado, it's time for our guest introductions. Our guest is recognized as a national expert on enrollment and is often cited on topics related to college admissions and ethical considerations and enrollment in the Chronicle of Higher Education, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and other news outlets. He has 20 years of experience in higher education working, with 12 years serving in a senior leadership role in enrollment management. He has worked in a variety of higher education settings, including three flagship universities, regional campuses, and a liberal arts institution. He was recently announced as the inaugural vice provost for enrollment management at the University of Georgia beginning in August of 2023. Please welcome to our show, Dr. Andy Borst. Good to see you, sir. How are you doing? Good morning, DJ. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, just listening to a few of your shows, you've had some really heavy hitters on this show, so I appreciate you doing me a favor by letting me come on. Well, I'm sure as the audience hears you, they would recognize you as quite the heavy hitter yourself uh, if the intro didn't help us with that. And, and for those of us uh, or for those of you who will be listening and chiming in uh, to this episode, you know, Andy and I's relationship goes back to our time at Western Illinois University in the great community of Macomb. Shout out to Western Illinois University. Um, and so that's where our connection comes from. And I'm so happy that, that he has blessed us with his time. Uh, as well as as the topics that we're going to kind of talk about and discuss today. So great. without further ado, we're going to go ahead and transition into our topics. So Andy, we're going to get started with the first leadership moment, and this is themed under the context of self-awareness. So what's the story or the narrative behind it, and how has this impacted or shaped your leadership? I wanted to tell the story about how you and I met, and it is fairly unique, but I think it highlights the idea of self-awareness from a leadership perspective. So going back into my career, uh, I was just finishing up my PhD. I had I was looking for a new challenge. We were working with Western Illinois University, was working with an external consultant named Noel Levitz, now Ruffalo Noel Levitz. And the university had just failed an admissions director search. So looking to keep things moving uh, while we bought time before we would be able to um, do a full search again. And the consultant firm had talked to me about stepping into the admissions director role. So it's these moments that you really never envision. Like I never worked in admissions and I told them that, that was a terrible idea because I didn't know anything about admissions but they had confidence in me that I would be able to step in and at least keep the ship afloat, keep things moving forward in the short term. Well, it, when the meeting happened with the vice president for student services, who was my supervisor and introducing me to the admissions team, everyone knew that I didn't have any experience in admissions, but I had previous experience leading a team. I could listen, I could help advocate, 
And so I remember that meeting when you and I met and with the rest of the admissions team at Western, where we were just all honest with each other and said, I can help you, you can help me. How do we get things moving forward? And what do you need to do your job effectively? And from the perspective of self-awareness, it's I knew what I didn't know and the team knew what I didn't know, but they were the experts in the field that we were charged to execute. And so I had to ask questions about what are the things that you're doing that are complete waste of your time? What are the things that you're doing that you feel like you could do more of if you just had more capacity, more resources to be able to do this particular function? And I remember we we had the whiteboard up um, or sheets of paper up and said, you know, what do you want to accomplish in the next year? And it wasn't me coming in as the leader saying, here's what we're going to do. It was asking the team, what do you think that we could accomplish together? Writing those things down and then talking about, we can achieve this. This one may be difficult for us to get to, but we can make efforts towards that end. And so I wanted to ask you, I knew what it was like from my perspective of stepping into that role, but what was it like from your perspective of seeing me step into that leadership position? I think the first piece that that stands out to me now and stood out to me then is oftentimes when we think about leadership, you don't often think of the person being willing to stand up in front of the, the team they're being called to, to take charge of and say, I don't know some of this stuff. And regardless of what we may have assumed, regardless of those that would have known your background, to me, that was one of the most significant leadership moments that I saw from you at the very beginning was your willingness to, to, to be transparent, to say, this is what I don't know, this is what I do know, and how can we move this together? And so that was one of the first things that stood out to me was your ability to do that. I think the other piece that you hit on that I felt like was very strong um, and, and it tends to be the, the less thought of part of strong communication was your willingness to listen. Um, you were always open ears. Uh, you were always willing to take in what we had um, and then to think critically about how you can contribute or support us to move those pieces forward. And so those are the pieces that I remember from being in that room, seeing you flip through the, the quote unquote white pages. And the other piece that I would share with the audience that I remember is, is when I started in my role there, two days after I started, the person who was in the role that you ended up taking, they retired. Something came up and they needed to move relatively quickly. And then, so two days after that, we then got an interim, right, who similarly didn't necessarily have the admissions background, was stepping in to try to, to support the team until... Uh, uh, a more formal replacement showed up. And so as we went through that search, I remember that search very well. And so, you know, when they named you as, as the sitting director, you know, of course, I remember having thoughts like, okay, what is this going to be like? One, we're, we're mostly regional staff. Um, and two, this is someone who doesn't necessarily have the, the background, but I remember that meeting. And then I would say one more meeting that stands out to me in connection to that is, is, you did a, a road show. You actually came to see each regional. Um, I'll never forget it. We we met at like a Chili's right around, you know, yep. the area where uh -huh. I was, was living in. And and you shared kind of perspective of what you were thinking, what you were looking for from us. 
but also giving us some sense of how you can support us moving forward. And that was one of our first conversations where I was willing to share kind of what my career aspirations were. Uh, mm-hmm. And you were very much willing to, to support me in that in that endeavor. So that's what I remember from it. I remember the connections that happened as a part of those conversations, because I really, I think all of us thought that I would be a short timer until moving on to something else, but I wanted to help as much as I could. And it comes from listening. And through those conversations, that shaped the future path of my career of staying in admissions, staying in enrollment. It ended up being a better fit than I think anybody could have anticipated. And then our connection, as we both traveled through this path together, when we were at that chili, we didn't know that we would eventually go on to be senior enrollment leaders. I mean, you kind of hope that your career would will unfold in such a way but we didn't know that back then. And it was good to just focus on like, who are you as a person? What do you want to do? What is your future aspirations? And how can I help you in that, in that path? Um, And those opportunities unfolded like the opportunity for the enrollment management certificate at USC uh, in Southern California of saying like, Hey, DJ, you had mentioned that this is something that you're interested in. I think that this might be a good opportunity for you to explore I mean, financially, I can't help you, but we'll do everything else we can to support you in pursuing this. And then the commonality being is that education has opened up all kinds of doors for us, whether it be formal or just taking in knowledge from others uh, that has given us opportunities that I don't even think that we could see back when we were having those dinners. I concur. And I was I was actually thinking about the USC piece before you, you got to it. So uh, it's interesting just to kind of share this connection in this space and thinking about the experiences we had. And the last piece I'll share with the audience that I think we've talked a little bit about things that may be identified in the space of, of soft skills uh, specific to your willingness to listen, your willingness to be transparent, uh, your willingness to be supportive. But you were the first admission officer, um, chief admission officer that I had had exposure to who had a very strong background in data. <laughs> um, and so I I also remember that because that was that first piece of, I, I had an orientation to data given my background and studying business, but not to the level uh, that you presented to the team. I was struck by stepping into that role. There was a disconnect between what the team was saying and what the administration was saying. The team was saying, we have great partnerships with school counselors. We can make good connections with students. We just need need more opportunity to do things like getting in front of counselors, getting in front of students, having more staff to help us so that we're not all expected to do so much without within a finite amount of time. The administration's perspective was really just that there wasn't enough effort in the recruitment initiative. And if you're in a, ever in a position, no matter what leadership role, where the mentality is, is that we just need to try harder or we just need to do a better job of telling our story. Neither of those are strategies. And so just asking people to work harder doesn't lead to a change in outcome. It just burns out really good people. Yes, we could continue to make efforts to improve the way in which we communicate, the way in which we're building connections. But that's where I felt like the data came into play is it wasn't what I thought or what the administration thought or what the team thought. It is here is the outcomes by which the information is playing out. Here is who is available for us to go and reach out to connect. Here is the size of the team that we have. 
and the level of turnover that we have and some evidence that we have of why the team is turning over. And then here are some in investments that you can make beyond just kind of throwing your hands up and saying like, oh, we just need to try harder. Like, no, if you really want to move the needle, it takes more than just signaling, yeah, we wish we things could be better. If you want to see things change, it takes investment in time, certainly, but more often in resources. And it's the question for leadership of, do you want to, are you willing to make those additional investments beyond just beating up on people to get a, them to work harder, which never results in the outcome that leaders will think will happen? Concurred. And and in the, the space of thinking about you know, there were these different perspectives on the same thing. So you move back the the veil, you break the silos, you open up the communication. Uh, and dare I say, transparency, as I think about our, 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 our second topic. But I think that piece was really helpful for us as you were able to come in and lead us in that space. So I really, really value that. So again, for our audience, we're actually going to pivot and we're going to take uh, a turn to the second leadership moment, which again is under the framework of transparency. So again, Andy, I'm going to turn the keys over to you. Walk us through the, the narrative um, and how that shaped your leadership. So I think the moment that this happened was meeting with school counselors about what the admissions process was going to be like at Western Illinois. And if you were just to say college admissions in general, there is a default to just thinking about Ivy League schools and there's a frustration in general, in society about what happens in the black box of admissions. And for most colleges and universities, there doesn't need to be a black box. We can be really transparent about what happens and how information is used and how information is not used. Uh, there's several TikTok videos going on right now about uh, guidance of how admissions officers read essays and things that we're looking for. And you watch these videos and be like, that's not even close to the reality of how things actually work. So the idea of transparency comes from the desire for team members or for external audiences who might be consuming your product to know how do decisions get made? Why do certain strategies get invested in and why others don't? And that I've tried to use that data as a way to not just say like, hey, look, we have all of this data that no one's going to look at and no one's going to read, but to try and tell stories from, hey, you wanted to know this question. Here is the data that attempts to answer that question. What other questions does that lead you to so that we can keep going down that rabbit hole to find out more information? And so that transition from going from a behind the scenes grid of here's your test scores, here's your GPA, you're either in or you're out or you're gonna go through an, an additional review to essentially the same process, but using a formula rather than the grid to be more transparent to say to school counselors, if you have a student with this test score, this GPA, this is the outcome that you can expect. And I think that that it's not necessarily changing who the institution was bringing in. It was just changing how we share that message, not so that we could, yes, to be transparent, but it also goes back to making sure that we had good relationships with the school counselors because there's frustration in the unknown. You can't buy into, you can't direct people to invest their time and resources in something that they don't know about. But if you know if a student is going to be admitted, if their scholarship, how much their scholarship might be, the intent would be to build trust. And you do that through being transparent. 
you can't necessarily be transparent in all things. What's the five-year plan for succession, for transitioning through, you know, we all don't know what's going to happen five years from now, but that doesn't mean that you can't share the daily operations about how your team operates, what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, um, and just that starts with self-awareness, but then the transparency part comes in telling the story, not just having data for data's sake. Thank you for, for sharing that, Andy. And, and the two threads, there's two threads that I want to pull out, but there's also a follow-up question I have for you. And so, sure. you know, the two threads that I think about is the, re the reference to building trust with external constituencies, right? And and through that, how you were very transparent in your leadership during that time at Western Illinois to bring to the forefront how the admission review process actually happened at Western, right? There are a variety of, of institutions that fall across the continuum of level of selectivity um, that may have uh, broader pieces to the process, but Western at that time was not one of those places. And so I remember that. I very much appreciate you bringing it to the forefront. The other piece was the notion of leading with inquiry, right? This notion of continuing to ask the right questions. And you talked about that a little bit in terms of, hey, here's an area where the data aligns that can help kind of contribute to the narrative, maybe not be the whole story, what other questions should we be asking? So I, I very much appreciate you you sharing that. The follow-up question I have for you is, is, since you've had these opportunities to be in different spaces with institutions that in theory would have different levels of, of admission selectivity, um, have you found that it's been the same in terms of the ability to be as transparent about the process or has it changed based on the level of selectivity for the institution? So what I heard from that team meeting at Western Illinois was school counselors play a role in shaping the type of schools and the, which schools are on a student's list to explore. That's true for some schools. It's not true for all schools, especially when a counselor is sitting on a 600, 700 student counselor ratio but it is acknowledging the relationships that school counselors have and the role that they play in directing students to particular institutions. I'll contrast Western Illinois to the University of Illinois in keeping that mindset of that we have to be, I think Angie Cooksey talked about, not necessarily sides of the desk, but just having a larger table for people to sit around. And it's not that if you treat people like adversaries, don't be surprised when they act as adversaries. Admissions officers are not trying to trick or deceive a school counselor. We're trying to share information so that we can help better decision-making. And so you can either be at the table to share that information, or you cannot be at the table where you don't get the opportunity to share that information. The level of selectivity at the flagship institution versus a regional institution are pretty far apart in the type of student that both institutions are, are admitting. But there doesn't need to be that distance in what information is shared School counselors respond very well if you just say, this is the type of student that we're admitting. And as much information as you can give me, knowing that you may not be able to give me everything, but something is better than nothing, then I can help uh, improve the decision making for my students. And it makes me feel like a more informed professional so that I can help people that I want to be able to help. Yes, there is differences in who can be admitted and who, who can't be admitted. And that reality may be very different institutions that at institutions that are denying 90% of their applicant pool versus institutions that are maybe denying 50 to 60% of their applicant pool. But I still don't think that that changes the level of transparency that you can share 
for the sake of building relationships to get to the outcome that both external audiences and internal audiences want to see. So it goes from what do I know, what can I share, and how does that help with the decision making for everyone? I have a few hashtags to add there, hashtag in terms of the reference to the understanding the roles that we play and contribute to a broader process, and then hashtag to the notion of putting people in position to make an informed decision, uh, whether that's the team that you're leading, whether that's the partners in the process. And in this instance, we're talking about the, the school counselors or independent counselors and how we, we arm them with information to support their students that they're leading through the college search journey. And then lastly, before we pivot to the third leadership moment, I want to make sure I acknowledge your reference and also give a shout out to Angie uh, and the amazing work that she has done uh, in the in the space of enrollment and admissions. And also a shout out to her amazing podcast, uh, Admission Voices. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I highly encourage you to check that out. And so based on where we are now, we're going to pivot to the third leadership space, the third leadership moment. And this is under the auspice of alignment. So again, Andy, I'm going to turn the keys over to you. Tell us the story uh, and how that shaped your leadership. So in my 20 years in higher ed leading teams, I've always tried to take the perspective of I want to see individuals be successful, how they define it. So when you and I talked at Chili's and saying, where do you see your career going? How can I help with that? I've always tried to take that approach of alignment. And so that's kind of the third principle that I wanted to talk about today is how individuals' careers align with either the institution goals or even or even with the consistency of a team. We always kind of lament the turnover that happens in admissions offices and financial aid offices or just higher education in general of people moving on to different um, tasks. You can let yourself have the frustration build about why are these people leaving well, a big component of that is you have to have a little livable wage in order to want to buy into an institutional mission. But I also think that if you lead with the core mentality of loyalty, you're going to get frustrated of people leaving, thinking that they are disloyal, when in fact, it's really just about how long do their values align with the institutional values or the, the values of the office. There is a financial component of that, but I also want to be on guard for listeners to avoid the mission tax of Yes, I love working for a great leader. I want to be inspired. I want you to tell me what I'm doing well, what I'm not doing well, but that will not align forever. It's not going to be, I'm going to stay in my position and be happy where I'm at for 30 years. I, I need to see a path as an individual. And so that alignment that I talked about when folks have gone on to new opportunities, I remember a conversation that I had with a, um, a good friend of both of ours, Corey Richardson who had an opportunity to go and work for a nonprofit organization and they were going to increase his salary. They were almost going to double his salary. And he had a conversation with me about like, well, what do I do? Well, I think you go and you check out that other opportunity because there is no way I can get your salary to that point. And that salary is not just, hey, these things might be better. That improves your whole quality of life. And that can lead to other outcomes for you that I want to see happen. And so, and this has happened in my own career, the financial opportunities are great, but it's the uh, opportunities to learn and grow and to be in the room that you won't get to have if you stay put in your current role. And so I consider John Bakkenset a mentor to, to push me to not get comfortable in the director of admission seat and 
man, I was. I loved the University of Illinois. I loved the seat that I was in. But to look for other opportunities to grow as a professional and that there were several enrollment management positions open and the University of Georgia opportunity came open. And and the more I learned about it, the more it became interesting to me. But it was the idea not from a loyalty perspective of the institution, but from an alignment perspective of this fits within my career trajectory of what I want to see and what I value. And I've always wanted to create those opportunities for my staff. It may have hurt the team as we lose good people who go on to other things, but I feel like that's what's helped maintain these connections at professional organizations and helping and seeing people grow in their careers so that they can then in turn give back to others and say, like, let me help you grow. Let me help you look for opportunities that I can't provide for you that will help your career, not just the outcomes of the team. Amazing. Two quick hashtag shout outs, John Bockenstadt, of course, as well as our, our great friend and my brother, Corey Richardson. There's one thing, the first thing that you hit on that that really stood out to me is your ability to support those that are in your care, those you've been called to lead by asking the question, how do you define success? What kind of goals and aspirations do you have? And I've learned that and that was something I picked up from you, your willingness to be to have those conversations. Um, and I'll have a follow-up question there in a moment. I also want to recognize the pieces that you talked about in terms of alignment with mission, vision, direction, the alignment fiscally uh, with, with how a person can set up and take care of themselves, their family, and also the reference to one could have all those great things, but maybe they have aspiration that uh, that then connects them to mobility um, and transition. It doesn't necessarily reflect a negative on the leader that they're transitioning from or the team. It just may yeah, reflect better on an opportunity. And then the last piece, which I've shared in other other conversations and other uh, podcasts, is kind of the recognition that some people have aspirations and goals and will be very transparent with it. They have an intention of growing vertically within the space. Some will have the skills and the tools but they need a Dr. Bors to kind of enlighten them and support them and show them that it's okay to have broader aspirations because they're good at what they do. And then others don't have the intent, right? They just want to be great where they are and they can still find ways to grow in the role that they're in and in the community they're in, the team that they're in, but they may not have those. So the the follow-up question, Andy, I wanted to ask you is, is can you can you reflect on how you've maybe handled it? And maybe you haven't had this experience. How do you navigate it when you're you're trying to have that one-on-one with a direct report and you're asking the question in relationship to their aspirations, their career aspirations, and they don't want to share? Like they they don't feel like they can trust enough to to divulge that information. How have you navigated that? Uh I would say I'll answer in twofold. So the dinner that you and I had, we connected very early, but we're also both very ambitious people. Like we want to grow. We're also have been fortunate enough to be more mobile and not everyone shares that mobility. Some people like I'm going to be in this geographic location and I don't have the opportunity to move or I don't want to move. And so how I have navigated going down that path of having conversations with folks like, we're, all right, so you're coming in. How can we help you grow as a professional? Is I have that I try to have that conversation as early as possible. So when a a new staff member is coming in, let's go to coffee. Tell me your story. How did you get to this path? I want to know where, 
Where did you grow up? What high school did you go to? What are the educational opportunities that have led you to this point? How is your family? And then, all right, we're here. Why? What led you to this moment? And then I also try to continue the story of it can happen in the first week. So it also, they're kind of on guard of like, well, why are you asking me when I'm going to leave on the first day or in the first week? It's like, I want to know where that path leads you so that I can help you because I can help someone to identify opportunities that they might find appealing. And it, I can see where that path leads over the course of a three month span through a job search. And it helps me prepare for transition in a much better way than saying, Hey, look, I didn't tell you about this opportunity, but here's my resignation in two weeks. I'm out. Like I, I, it is much more difficult as a leader, as a manager to transition in a short time frame without knowing that there is change ahead versus seeing well in advance, like, okay, this opportunity might happen. It might not. I can better support you through that search. I can be an advocate for you through that search. And I still have folks that just don't want to share because there's still the mentality and some offices are this way. Some cultures are like this where they don't want to share those opportunities. Where I feel like I've grown as a professional is helping some of the folks that are more place bound that are very happy with their current role and don't want to move. It's not like, how can I help you get to that next rung? It's how can I help you achieve your goals? And your goal may be, I just want to be able to do the best job in where I'm sitting. That takes time. That takes resources. That takes investment so that they can be an expert in the profession that they have chosen without just saying, what's the best thing for me? The best thing for me as a staff member might be to just be cool with the seat that I'm sitting in, but I still want opportunities to learn and grow without stagnating in that seat. Thank you so much for your your, re your response to that question. And the two pieces that stood out to me there before we transition is this idea of being better positioned to support one's professional development and journey based on being able to have information, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not as if I'm trying to get information to take advantage of you. I'm, I'm wanting to be as supportive as I can in your journey. And believe it or not, I may be in position to support you and help you in that journey and help you navigate it. And obviously on the other side of that is, is and that also allows me to be better prepared or the leader to be better prepared because, hey, I may have some sense as I'm watching you developing to cultivate over time, okay, without you even telling me that time is near because I've seen the growth, I've seen the development, I've seen the change. And I also can start to think more broadly about what this may mean for the team, not as a negative towards that person, but also making sure that that tr transition is as smooth as possible. So I, I appreciate you bringing that to light. So listen, audience, we've had a great journey. We've talked about leadership moments through the lens of self-awareness, through transparency, and then lastly, through alignment. Um, and so one of the, the last questions, Andy, I want to get to you is, is as we, we navigate our own journeys of leadership through these powerful and critical moments in time, are there any words of wisdom that you would like to, to kind of instill to the audience uh, as we transition to a close? I will echo the best advice that I feel like I've received which is you will never guarantee that you can be the smartest person in the room. And in fact, guarantee in certain circles that there that just won't happen, but that you should always strive to be the most self-aware person in the room. Sometimes the best things for you to say in the course of a meeting are nothing. And just to sit and listen, this may not be your area of expertise, 
this may not be a, a topic that is appropriate for you to share your voice on, but there's other opportunities where no one knows a topic better than you and it's time to speak up and time to be heard. And you won't know that difference until you really have a sense for what is your personal brand in the profession. I know that I'm good with data. I know that I'm good at listening. I know that I can share perspectives of information and advocate for others. There are certain topics like when questions get asked about why or how something happens, those are more qualitative in nature. And so I try to take more, a more backseat and recognize that that's just information that we don't have. And so if I were to think about what's advice that I've been given that I think is helpful is know your personal brand, be self-aware, recognize when it's time for you to contribute and when it's time for you to not say anything at all. Wow. So impactful. And I'm, I've been over here. I know the audience will be able to see this when this episode goes live, but I've been jotting notes rigorously. And, you know, the self-awareness piece is something that strikes a chord and it hits home. Um, and oftentimes when I think about the notion of of being self-aware, it's it's through the sense of navigating leadership moments where as soon as something happens, I'm I'm aware of how I may have made someone feel or how I may have taken something in, in an alternative way and to kind of reflect on that. But in this instance, proactively self-reflecting and knowing self uh, in a space and how you may be able to contribute and understanding through a leadership lens when to step up and when to step backwards um, and when to empower others to step up based on their experience, their expertise, their strengths. So I appreciate you 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 closing us with that. And so, you know, Andy, I want to make sure to quote unquote, give you your flowers, not only in terms of how you've been a leader in my life and in my career journey, but also in terms of those that you've impacted uh, through your journey at the different institutions that you've been blessed to be at. Uh, the different communities that you've been a part of, um, and, and more importantly, um, the household that you continue to, to love, uh, develop, and cultivate along with your with your queen. So again, I just want to make sure to give you your flowers and to thank you for all that you continue to do in this space uh, and to wish you well as you continue to journey on in your inaugural role at, at UGA. Thank you so much, DJ. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Fantastic. So to our guests, as you transition to work or home from work, or as you head into lunch or transitioning in between meetings, as you transition into professional development time you have for yourself each day or each week, or as you transition between the work and the time that you have with yourself and loved ones, let's reflect and consider incorporating what we've learned through the extraordinary impactful leadership moments into our lives. Thanks for tuning in to the Hues of Leadership podcast. And remember to ask yourself, what hues will I use today and which will I seek to further develop? Thank you. Thank you.